This morning, I'm going to read two sections of, of Scripture. One is found in the book of Luke, and the other one's found in the book of Isaiah 52 on this Christmas uh, Sunday. And as we are looking at these, I want us to examine those things that we think that we know, those things that we, um, uh, those things that we uh, think we know about Christmas as we move into this season. I know that Christmas is a, almost a week away from today, but today follows six days before Christmas, therefore it's Christmas Sunday. So I want us to kind of think as if we are experiencing the joy and hope as if we woke up this morning and it was Christmas. As we are reading these statements, these scriptures, these words found in the Bible, the book of God, the, the, that book he wrote for his people, us, I want us to read these as if we are experiencing Christmas, if you can, for the first time. So Luke 2, verse 8, And in the same region where the shepherds, where there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and to the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Pause there. Anytime anybody tells you they've seen an angel and they weren't gripped with fear, it wasn't an angel. Okay? Every time you see this in the Bible, they're always terrified. Verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped on swaddling cloths, and lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a great multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Ah, oh, that's so good. I love that. Okay, we're jumping to Isaiah 52 now. I'll give you a few seconds to turn there. I know, Herb, you're trying to keep up. <laughs> um, it's, we're going to start in verse 7 says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness and publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice together. They sing for joy for eye to eye. They say they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Verse nine, break forth together into singing. You waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. I'm going to pray. Father God, thank you for this word. I thank you for prophecy and prophecy fulfilled. I thank you that you didn't just wind up this big blue ball in, 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 in the cosmos and just set it up and and let it go without your control. God, we, we thank you for your sovereign uh, will. We thank you for your, 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 your plan of salvation and your mercy and your grace that floods us. God, this morning, I, I pray that you would speak to your people a message of hope and redemption because that's all it is, God. It's hope. It's a great eternal hope that surpasses anything that the world can offer. God, this morning as we present this gospel message, as we present the hope, let us hear it and let us receive it. It's in your son's name that we pray, amen. If I was to say Christmas is, how would you fill in that blank? Christmas is sleigh bells, Christmas is sharing, Christmas is holly, Christmas is caring. Or so... uh, Percy Faith once wrote in a not-so-familiar song and entitled, aptly, Christmas Is. But if I was to give you an opportunity to capture some of the things that make Christmas for you, how would you describe Christmas? What is Christmas for you? 
What is Christmas for everyone? What is it in its essence, in its eternity? What is Christmas? The sights, the sounds, feelings, apparently that's what Christmas is to the world, and most would agree with that statement. But Christmas is much more than just sharing warm emotions. It's, it's much more than just uh, gathering with friends and family. It's more, much more than, uh, uh, than just memories. It's much more than these harm or heartfelt warm emotions. It's more than these things, like even the greatest of, of fun or joy. Think back to your most amazing memory you've ever had on Christmas. It's more than that. Christmas is, in essence, about what God supplies and what he shares with us, his creation, humanity. We're going through our series of of Christmas gifts, the gifts that God has given to us through Christmas. We we looked at courage, uh, the message of courage that we found through uh, Joseph. Courage, we found hope. Um, we found wisdom in the wise men, hope in Mary, wisdom in wise men. And this morning we're looking at the, the greatest Christmas gift, and that is love. Love poured out, love given, love completed, love executed, love perfected in the babe born uh, from the Virgin Mary. I like to think I know something about love. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love the, the work that I do. I love things. I love my truck. I love pizza, right? I think that I think I know something about love. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. I think I know what love is, but if we fully understood and could comprehend the true essence of love, it would always lead us back to Christ. Because Christ is love perfected. And I don't, don't want this to be mistaken. Love is not making me feel good. Love is not uh, letting my feelings not get hurt. Love is not letting me run around in reckless abandon because I don't want to be instructed on the proper ways to live my life. That's not what love is. Love is doing the hard things when there are easier ways to do them. We were watching a TV show and, uh, the other day, and in, in this, there was a couple, they were in marriage counseling, and and the therapist told them, and this is completely secular, but it struck me in, a, in an odd way, because even the world sometimes gets it right, because God has written his law on our hearts, amen? So sometimes the world gets it right. And this therapist said, right now, the easiest thing for you to do would be to separate. Take the easy way out. But that might not be the best thing for you to do. Sometimes the easiest path for us isn't always the right path, isn't always the best path. For many of us, the hardest path is always the best path and the most rewarding path because it is the path that God has set before us. God speaks of two paths in Scripture. There's a wide one, easy, and there's a narrow one that's very hard. And when we see Christmas and we understand what Christmas is as, as God supplies perfect love. We see that it is God's faithfulness made manifest. It's about how God has touched our lives with his love. So we know what Christmas is, but who is it for? Who is Christmas for? Because gifts, when given, are for 
specific people. So who is this gift of love for specifically? Who was Christ coming into the world to redeem, to restore? Well, Christmas is for those who have nothing and those who need everything. Have you ever tried to give somebody a, a $20 bill? You ever just tried? Like a, maybe you have a family member or somebody's too proud. They don't like to, to take any handouts or be helped in any way, shape, or form. Do they like to receive it? Many times they're like, I don't need that. You keep that. You need that more than I do, right? Anyone had experiences like this? Or am I speaking to a, a, an audience of one this morning, right? If you are trying to give a gift to somebody who thinks they don't need it, they do not receive it. Christmas is for those who know they have nothing and need everything. This text in Isaiah is from uh, about 2,500 years ago. And this was God sending a Christmas greeting to his people. And I love this. It is God originally sending this to the people who are exiled in Babylon, which is present-day Iraq, in the 6th century B.C. This is a long time ago. The people who have been thrown out of their country had no hope. And he sends this not only to them, but to the ragtag handful of people who are left behind in Jerusalem, the remnant, the once proud capital of the Jewish nation. Can you imagine their mindset, whether they were the ones hauled off to Babylon or the ones that remain in the ruins of Jerusalem? It must have seemed like their whole world was out of control. We have to understand the context. Their ancient homeland of Israel was the one that was promised through their fathers, through Abraham and his family, the the promised land. We speak of that in church all the time, that you have a promised land, that God has done this thing. He's promised and he's going to restore you. But what happens when that promise has been fulfilled and then God pulls you out of that promise? We don't know what that looks like because that's not how we are because we live under the new covenant. That once you're in Christ, you cannot be separated from him. But you have to understand these people under the old covenant had already received the promised land, yet now they're living apart, separated, ripped out, torn from that promise. Can you imagine how hopeless they must feel? Because before the promised land, they had that hope. And then after, what hope do they have? Their whole world was out of control. Promise destroyed, worship in shambles, sacrifice no longer offered in that altar. The temple built by great Solomon was trashed and torched by the armies of Babylon. There must have been an ache in their hearts as these people prayed to God. They had nothing. We don't talk about that side of the promise. I feel like sometimes God purposely takes us to a place to humble us to where we have nothing so that the only thing left is him. It's easy while rich and and fat and happy to say trust in God. But it's even more so hard to say that when you're starving when you don't know if you, you have enough money to put food in the, in the bellies of your children. 
Christmas is for those who have nothing and need everything. This is, is this how God promised Abraham and, and Adam and, and David? Is that how th- that he would promise that, 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 that promise would end with a whimper in the desert of uh, the ancient Near East? Is, is that where that God was going to take his people? Of course not. See, we have a problem. We, we know the end of the story. So for us, it's hard for us to examine and see this and and look at this. But these were people who needed something from God because they thought his flame was burning out, that they were going to die with just barely a footnote in the annals of history. And so he sends them a greeting of hope. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who publish his peace, some, some of your versions will say proclaim, who bring good news of happiness and publish his salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. I want you to hear that this morning. If you worship the creator of the universe, if you are a bought and sold and purchased by the blood of Christ, if Jesus reigns supreme in your life, if you acknowledge him as sovereign Lord, guess what? Your God reigns this morning. I love this section. I love this, 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 this scripture because sometimes in our hubris, we can forget that we are people who have nothing and are in great need of everything. The God of faithful love and mercy came to his weary and lonely people with a message of good news. Your God reigns. If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will do it. God would make it possible for those exiled in Babylon to return home. The Lord of the universe would grab the reins of the world governments and would send that Persian empire to topple Babylon, and he would establish peace. And so messengers ran ahead from Babylon back to, to Jerusalem, proclaiming this wonderful news. Mom and dad are coming home. Babylon is conquered. The exile is over. We're coming home, boys. What a message. For those who had nothing, families would be reunited. No wonder those messengers have beautiful feet. Their feet brought good news. For many of us today, we, we, we can't understand what is happening here. We, we don't, uh, I was in the military, and I know what it means to be separated from your homeland. I know what it, it means to be in another country and in another world entirely. I know what that means, but I didn't live there. I wasn't exiled there. I know what it means to be separate, but for many of us, we don't know what it looks like, what it feels like to be separated from our, our, our principles our ideals, our worldview, our ideologies. We don't know what it means when the world is looking at us, or do we? If your God is so big and powerful, why does he let this happen? Exiled. We can relate to this Christmas greeting because in its essence, we are a people who have nothing. As we stand before God, we see our sins are cause for a spiritual exile. 
God has every reason to cast us out of his presence, to send us away from his goodness. Adam and Eve forsook the complete wholesome peace that was theirs in paradise. And as a result, we lack that perfect peace. In fact, we don't even deserve it. We don't deserve the little blessings of God, do we? If we think about it, do we really deserve the little goodness of God? Much less the great goodness of him. We don't deserve our homes, our families, our livelihoods. We don't deserve this church. We don't deserve God's message of hope. The truth is we deserve to be exiled to sin and death forever. I mean, what can we do to deserve it? Nothing. Not a thing. We, too, are a people who have nothing. And so in that, I know that's dark, and I know that doesn't make you feel good, but I want to set you up because in that presence, in that spirit, in that understanding, God has a message of good tidings, of great joy, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. We know these things, right? But they're just words that we say, but I want to set you up with the reality of what is behind these words. Your God reigns. The church has to understand that we do not live in America. We might be here physically, but our citizenship is in Christ's kingdom. We are exiled to this plane of existence because of sin. We are a people who have nothing, and God is calling us home. He's saying, your God reigns. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring that gospel message, the good news. We might have decorated trees and toys and Christmas lights and presents, and we may have the things that provide these temporary pleasures, and we might think that's enough. Our sinful hearts may think that it's enough to hear Christmas carols on the radio or turn into shine, which is now Rise FM, and listen to these Christian songs to see these lights on these houses, taste these Christmas cookies, but that's nowhere near enough. That will never be enough. That can never be enough. These things cannot fill our hearts with peace. It's at Christmas time that many people struggle with depression and suicide. It's at Christmas time that we remember lost loved ones. It's at Christmas time that the glitter of the holidays isn't just enough to keep peace in our hearts. And we recognize that. But see, that's not what Christmas is, is it? Christmas isn't about those things. For Christmas is nothing, and we have nothing if we do not have God's greeting of good tidings. Christmas is nothing and can never be anything if we do not have that hope that is in the person of Christ who was born on Christmas Day. I do not understand why the world celebrates Christmas. What hope is there in Christmas? What joy is there in Christmas without the birth of Jesus Christ? What does it mean? It's like celebrating Independence Day, though you live in Swahili. What's it for? It makes no logical sense to me. So Christmas is for those who have nothing. And secondly, it's for people who need everything. The God of history, our all-powerful, omniscient, sovereign God, merciful God, intervened in the world scene for us all. 
He has made it possible. Here's the thing that is so unique of all the religions in the world. The God that we worship, the true God, Yahweh, is the only God of all and every single other religion who has taken it upon himself to step into sin, to step into this world, to make it so that we can have peace with him. Every other religion, guess what? They say you have to step into their presence and do something good for them so that they can accept you into themselves. That's not how it worked. God did all the work here. God has done everything. He foreknew you before he formed the world, Scripture says. He has done all the things, all the work, made it all possible, and there's not a daggone thing we can do about it. And so even at the end of the day, no matter how good of a person you think you are, you still need everything that God has to offer. You cannot present yourself. Scripture says uh, that your faithfulness is but, or your righteousness is but filthy rags before a holy God. See, people have this thing. They, they think that because Jesus washes them clean, then therefore they are now clean and they can present themselves as righteous before the Lord. But I, I want to challenge that thought because many of us agree with that statement, right? Jesus washed me clean. Washed me white as snow. But here's the thing. No, here's the thing. I am so blemished that no matter how much Jesus washes me, I can still no longer stand before his Father as unblemished. So when we stand before God, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So when we stand before God, we, he now sees his Son that bore his full wrath, because even if we come even a, a remotely into his presence, apart from Christ, we sin. Can't. It's impossible. So as Christ has washed us clean, he has closed dust in himself. Because we can't. We cannot do it. We need everything. The breath in our lungs, is from God. The money in our bank accounts is from God. The gas in our tanks are from God. The children, the laughter is from God. None of it is from us. And it is in this mindset we see that an all-powerful God intervened. He has made it possible for us to have peace with himself. He gives us everything that we need. Messengers, they have come to us in the form of preaching. They They are beautiful. They bring good news. The Christmas angel came to the shepherds on that first Christmas announcing peace on earth. See, this isn't about a broad peace like there's not going to be any war because guess what? People are inherently bad. So people are going to fight. But in that, the hearts of man can find peace on earth through Christ Jesus. No matter how wicked or how broken or how bad the world gets, we can have peace. That's what he's saying. Peace on earth. God sent his Christmas greeting to you. Peace on earth. Mercy mile. God and sinners reconciled. No matter how broken or dark or wicked or bad the world gets, it, it cannot take away the beauty that God has reconciled sinners to himself through his son. Oh, it's awesome. That is what Christmas is. This is what we mean by Christmas is love. This is the love we're talking about. And it is exactly what we need. God gives us 
what we need right here in his word. He gives us a message of hope and love, and he gives us the ability to receive it and to believe it. We've been given just what we need. God has delivered it unto us, the perfect gift. The Hebrew word for deliverance in this text is really the root name of Jesus. So Jesus' name, as we read in Matthew one twenty one, she will bear him a son, and you shall call him his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This word is introduced back in Isaiah 52 when it says deliverance, he will deliver his people. And so when Mary hears that his name will be Jesus, she knows it's coming true. The exile is no longer. God is calling us into himself. He is reconciling his perfected creation, human beings, the, his image bearers, to himself. He delivers. Yeshua. Jesus Christ is what Christmas is about. The reason for this season, right? You see those, those bumper stickers and those T-shirts and those funny things. But cliche aside, that is... <laughs> Without Christ, you don't have Christmas. Do you know where Christmas that we get? That's from the, 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 the Catholic Church. We can thank them for something, right? Uh, Christ's Mass. And so what they did is, uh, so the, okay, December 25th, how do we come there? It was an old ancient Hebrew tradition that a prophet would be killed on the day that he was conceived. Not just born, conceived. So uh, you take the day that Jesus was was killed, and then you subtract nine, nine months, or you add nine months to that, which fasts forward and brings us to December 25th. So no matter what the world tries to tell you, it wasn't a pagan holiday. It never was. There's no written record of December 25th being anything but Christmas. Okay? Everything else is all gobbledygook over the last couple hundred years. Most of it was invented after 1500 to begin with by the world trying to take away something that we celebrate. Because without Christ, you don't get Christ's mass. Again, why do they celebrate it if they don't believe in Christ? It doesn't make sense. It's a logical fallacy, but you can't, you can't think too deep into these things with those people. See, Jesus, the Son of God, came to trade himself for us in life and in death, the one who had every right to condemn us and to exile us found a way to pardon us without violating his own perfection. Can you think about that? He found a way. Because when a judge finds a way to pardon somebody else, it's always at the mercy or at risk of either his own ethics or against somebody else. He has to throw somebody else under the bus. But Jesus found a way to do it without sacrificing his perfection, without violating his character, without violating his nature. No judge is ever going to be willing to take the wrath of the law for somebody else. But we find that with Jesus. He had every right to cast us aside, to keep us in exile, keep us separated. But that wasn't the will of his Father. That wasn't the promise being fulfilled. Christ came to deliver us from the guilt of sin and the fear of death. Amen? Christ, he came, his existence was to deliver us from the guilt of sin and the fear of death. Who would love to live their life without guilt and without fear? 
Guess what? Find Jesus. I want to introduce you to this man. Come and see with the lady at the well. Like, you got to hear about this guy. He told me everything. Christmas is about needy people and about how God supplied all our needs. He's provided the best gift of all, our deliverance. And in fact, he's even wrapped a gift for us. He says, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all nations. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. God has given us just what we need, his holy arm. He's reached his arm down into creation in the form of a baby, in the form of a man. He laid it bare, rolled up his sleeve, and went to work for us. You guys ever see them old, um, like cartoons, Popeye and all those types of fun, happy cartoons back when TV was a, it was like the golden age of TV before everything was disgustingly smut and gross, right? I'm sick and tired of all these new modern TV shows. Anyway, um, I'm going to back to happy days, right? What was the thing? Like, you guys remember what Popeye would do after he would pop his can of spinach? What would happen? He'd roll his sleeves up and pop, pop, pop right? You'd see these muscles. When Jesus entered into the world, God was rolling up his sleeve and revealing his strength in creation for all the world. Jesus comes onto the scene and God's like, okay, here it is. Here's my strength made manifest. Here's everything that I am, that I'm giving it all for you to come and be reconciled to me again. This is my final Push to restore shalom, that word in Hebrew, which means perfect peace, which we find only examples of in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve mucked it up. He's given us what we need, his holy arm, laid it bare. I love that imagery. Again, we've heard the good tidings of the angels. The messengers have come. They've come to our hearts again and again and again, and they've brought this wonderful news of deliverance from sin and death and the devil. Uh, and every time we hear this Christmas message, God's good news, his, his Christmas greeting, we hear this message and we are assured that we are not to be sentenced forever to live in an inside-out, upside-down world. In Bethlehem, God came to assure us that he has a better life in store for us, not a name-it-and-claim-it kind of life, not a your life, your, your better life now type of stuff. This isn't a prosperity, health, wealth message, but this is God saying, I've got something better waiting on the other end for you. Right? When we examine the life and nature and character of Jesus as he's going through with this work, as he's doing the work, we find he doesn't have a home. He doesn't have much more than the clothes on his back. He has friends that abandon him left, right, and center. And he doesn't know where his next meal is coming from more often than not. But it is in this life, it is in this work, we see that the message of God's good news is exemplified. It is laid out, it is spread, it is, it is spoken, it is taught to all the world, and it is given to us in the person of Christ. Christ. 
There is a fountain filled with blood. See, this morning, I don't want us to get so caught up on the beauty and the joy and the happiness because it it doesn't stay there. He didn't say a baby. He didn't stay fully dependent on his earthly mother. Have you guys ever had a baby? Yeah, we've had babies, right? So when the the baby is very young, it is very dependent. And this is something I don't think we understand. And I never understood this until I had a, a child of my own. I look up one day. I'm wiping Dahlia's poopy butt when she was a very small child. And I look up at Candle and I said, huh. The most powerful person who's ever walked the face of the earth has had to have their butt wiped by somebody else. Think about that for a second. Even Joe Biden. I'm not going to say that was before or now. Um, Jesus Christ spent a time fully dependent on his earthly mother to take care of him. That is the God of the universe. Think about that. That's Christmas. It's more than holly, more than tinsel, more than snow, which I wish we would have now, which... All that rain we've been having, I thought it was going to turn to snow the last couple of nights, but it hasn't. It's more than children's laughter. It's more than these things. Christmas is not for people who want everything and need nothing. Christmas is for people who have nothing and need everything. How many of you guys have tried to evangelize to somebody and they don't want to hear it? How many of you guys have tried to, to tell them about the grace and mercy found only in Christ? about the hope of tomorrow found only in Christ, and they don't want to hear it. They want to fight you on it. That's not who Christmas is for. Not yet. You will not be able to receive Christ until you yourself come to an understanding that you have nothing apart from him, and you need everything because of him. Your sin has separated you from God. And the law found in the Testament, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, makes us aware of our sin and acknowledging it. We can do nothing with it. So as Paul says, I love how he says this. He says, the law has made us aware of, but it cannot separate us from sin. It is the person of Christ who does the separating. What do you need to be saved from? And there you will find a Savior. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now that is what Christmas is. Christ came to save us from ourselves. Because at at our heart, we are wicked, depraved human beings, broken, bent, not capable of being without sin if our lives depended on it. There is a, a, a popular idea right now that you can, you can pray a sin away. That you can read the Bible enough that you no longer have time to sin. That you can be so perfect in your Christianity that sin no longer holds sway over your life. But I challenge that. 
Because every time I draw breath, I realize how broken and how destitute Tony Green is and how in need of a perfect Savior I am. Oh, but what a sinner am I. But today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. Savior is Christ the Lord. Man, that's who Christmas is for. Christmas is for those of us who will receive and acknowledge that we are nothing in need of a Savior. If you find yourself in turmoil with that, take heart. God's doing a work. I pray that as you receive the message, that as you receive Christ, that you would turn from your sin, you would repent and trust in him. There is salvation. Not in some magical repeat after me prayer. Not in a God-shaped hole in your heart. When God rips that heart of stone out of your chest and replaces it with a heart of flesh and you are in turmoil because of it, there's where salvation is. And that's what Christmas is. It's beautiful. It's hopeful. It's majestic. It is worshipful. As I'm closing, I want to give you an opportunity this morning. And I don't, if, if you want to, to, to kneel or if you want to stay back, I want to give you an opportunity to just lay yourself bare before the King of Kings. Spend some time in reflection of your life. It's, it's, it's unique to me how we've already come to Christmas. Do you guys realize that it seems like yesterday we were having Christmas of like 2020 shutdown year? And here we are again back at it at Christmas. How has it changed for you in the last 52 weeks? How has God revealing himself to you changed you? Or are you exactly the same as you were a year ago today? That's a hard pill to swallow. So I want to give you an opportunity to, to work that out between you and God. And as we're doing that, I pray that you don't hate me for it. I find that you find people have two responses, one of two responses. You either run closer to God or you run away from God because it's scary. Trust me, the the further you run from him, the harder it will be.